The title of today's sermon is Curing Our Integrity Crisis. We will be taking our text from Matthew 5, 33 to 37. May I invite you to rise as we read God's Word. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond this is of evil. Let us bow before the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and bless you. We thank you, O Lord, because you are faithful to us. And though there are times when we get discouraged, we know, Father, that you are there for us and you always surprise us by your providential dealings with us, by the display of your sovereignty. And today, once again, we desire that your sovereignty might prevail upon your people. We pray that you might minister to each and everyone who is listening to this video sermon. We come before you, Lord, seeking that your name might be glorified, your people edified, and that your people might be transformed into the image of your Son. Lord, whatever is going to be achieved today, we will give you back the glory, the praises, and the thanks. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Once again, thank you for uh, this time. And uh, we thank the Lord that uh, He is with us once again in this blessed Sunday morning. Now, once again, the title of our sermon is Curing Our Integrity Crisis. Now, truth and honesty is something that I do not believe generally characterizes the Filipino in the 21st century. Now, of course, when I say that, I speak uh, in general terms because you and I know that there are people in our country who are people of integrity. They are people of honesty and transparency. But having said that, I believe that it is a rare breed or they are a rare breed. And so in our society, we find a network of fabrications. Sometimes it is difficult to have dealings without uh, any involvement of lying or even dishonesty. Let me cite to you a few examples. Sometimes we find uh, our people doing bribery to hide the truth, and sometimes we use euphemisms like pakape uh, uh, or regalo or pahalipay. And then we, sort, uh, we resort rather to lagay and subornohay because we always want shortcuts. We do not want to somehow go through the inconvenience of following established rules. 
And so uh, that's why we want to be exempted. That's why we resort to bribery. We also resort to the palakasan system because for us, uh, stating the truth might harm us, whereas it seems like in our society, dishonesty is rewarded. And then if you want to do business, you need to somehow pay Greece money so that you might be able to expedite matters. Such is the thing that we somehow observe in our own country. And again, I'm just saying that these are just general observations. It does not mean to say that there are no honest or um, people who are truthful. Uh, there are honest and truthful people in our country. But as I mentioned to you, it is becoming more and more rare. Now, the system of dishonesty has pervaded our society. Uh, it has pervaded our politics. It has pervaded our economy. It has pervaded practically every aspect of our society such that it is difficult and almost impossible to disentangle ourselves from these corrupt systems that are deeply entrenched in our nation. Politicians oftentimes have credibility problems, and that is why nobody believes anybody right now. We have shaded truth. We have exaggerated it. We have made promises that we have not kept. Together with all this lying, we add, cross my heart, swear to God, mamatay man ko, God is witness. And Jesus, in this particular passage, is teaching us honesty, truthfulness. And he uses the uh, passage of Scripture or passages of Scripture that belong to the Old Testament, uh, which relates to making vows. So we have three lessons on how to have integrity based on old, the Old Testament vows, which are interpreted accurately, accurately by the Lord Jesus Christ. And they can be summed up into three A's. The three A's. The first A is abstain from misinterpreting the Old Testament vows. We find this in verse 33. And then in verses 34 to 36, we need to apply the vows properly. And then in verse 37, we need to advocate plain truth. And so let's dive into our text and let's unpack what Jesus has to say about these Old Testament vows and how the people of Jesus' times were applying it or rather misapplying it. So in verse 33, we find abstain from misinterpreting the Old Testament vows. Matthew 5, 33 reads, Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. Now, what Jesus was really doing here in this particular passage of Scripture is that he was summarizing several Old Testament passages that dealt with making vows or making oaths. I'd like to be able to quote to you those Old Testament passages. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12, it says, You shall not swear falsely 
by my name, so as to profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. And then in Numbers chapter 30, verse 2, it says, If a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. And then finally, in Deuteronomy 23, verse 21, it says, When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for it would be sin in you. And the Lord your God will surely require it of you. Now, of course, the question is, was the Lord Jesus Christ implementing now a new law in the New Testament? Was he now contradicting the Old Testament laws that he just summarized? The answer, of course, is no. The Lord Jesus Christ was not in any way contradicting Old Testament laws. But rather, what he was actually contradicting here was the misinterpretation or the misapplication of the Pharisees. Because sadly, during that time, during the time of Jesus Christ, the making of vows no longer represented truth. There was so much lying and deceit, even as they swore before heaven or as they made oaths. There was so much lying and deceit. And so the Lord Jesus Christ was deeply frustrated with the lying, with the dishonesty. And that is why he felt that he had to correct the misinterpretation as well as the misapplication of all these Old Testament passages that I just quoted to you. Now, let me give you a background. Usually, the name of something or somebody greater than the person making the oath is invoked to give greater credibility. That was the purpose, to give it greater credibility to what is said. Any oath calling on God is invoked to witness to the truthfulness of what is said or to punish if it is a lie. An oath was then taken as absolute truth. So again, we need to uh, go back to the purpose of making vows and making oaths. It was really to lend credibility to what you are saying. In other words, when you made an oath, when you made um, a vow before the Lord, you are saying that what I am speaking about or what I am promising is most definitely the truth. Because if I do not speak the truth, then let the curse of God be upon me. So basically, that was the thought, the purpose, the intention of making vows uh, during that time. Now, God allowed making oaths by His name, and even God Himself actually made oaths on certain occasions. There is an occasion in the Old Testament wherein there was a theophany, and a theophany is actually an Old Testament manifestation of God, a physical manifestation of God in the Old Testament. And normally, a theophany or a Christophany was said to be an Old Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, in one of the Christophanies, in one of the Theophanies, we find that the angel of the Lord makes an oath. And again, this is to, uh, this is to say that this is the Lord Jesus Christ making an oath in the Old Testament. So let me quote to you Genesis chapter 22, beginning at verse 15. It says, Then the angel of the Lord, that's the theophany here, the Christophany, or the Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. So we see here that the angel of the Lord, Christ himself in the Old Testament, swears by himself. He swears by God. And again, that tells us that the Lord is not really against making oaths. But then again, if you make an oath, you better be sure that it is representative of truthfulness and honesty. Now, during the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, there was so much abuse that was taking place. Again, just to give you a background, people would swear by heaven, by the earth, by the temple, by the hairs on their heads. Now, to them, it was acceptable, even if it was a lie, for as long as they did not invoke the name of God. So once again, for as long as they did not invoke the name of God, it was all right to lie. So if I swore by the temple, by Jerusalem, by the hairs on my head, they felt it was all right, even if you were lying. So the command in Leviticus 19 verse 12 was interpreted that swearing falsely by any other name is actually allowed or permitted by God. Swearing by any other name, not the name of God, is allowed under the Old Testament. So indiscriminate and insincere vows became so commonplace that no one actually took it seriously. So by the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, it had no value. Oaths and vows and promises no longer had any value. It was worthless. And again, as I mentioned to you, people did not take that seriously. Now, instead of being a mark of integrity, it became a mark of deceit and a mark of insincerity. And of course, in our country, we have so-called vows, which happen to be a joke wherein people say, Pexman, mamatayman si Tarsan, or Pexman, mamatayman si Jose Rizal. That is our own version of oaths or vows that are really just a joke. It is not taken seriously. And sadly, during the time of Jesus Christ, that had become what the oaths and the vows, uh, that is what it became. And so, again, no value, it was worthless. 
So what the Lord Jesus Christ was saying that was that they needed to apply the vows properly. And we find this in verses 34 to 36. In verse 34, it says, But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one here white or black. Now, the problem here is that the Pharisees thought that since they were not quoting the name of God directly, and they were just simply quoting uh, the temple, the throne, uh, or the earth, or the hair, they felt that they were not really committing any transgression. They were not committing any offense towards God. That was how they felt. And that is why they were free to lie. They were free to, to make oaths that were not really sincere. Therefore, these oaths were still done. But then again, the Lord Jesus Christ was saying, even if you do that, if, for example, you say, I make an oath by heaven, Jesus was saying, you're making an oath by the throne of God. It is still in the name of God. If you're making an oath by the earth, understand that the earth is the footstool of God. And since it is the footstool of God, you are still making an oath to God himself. Now you can likewise make an oath by your head, but then recognize that none of us are capable of making our, uh, our hair either black or white. Only God himself can do that. So what's the point? The point really is that if you make an oath by your head, you're still making an oath before God. It is still in the name of the Lord. And that is why they were in fact committing transgressions. They were in fact offending God by doing such things. Because in so far as God was concerned, these oaths were like making oaths invoking the name of the Lord. And so God is the creator of everything. And to carelessly and dishonestly call any part of his creation as witness to false oaths was actually dishonoring God himself. You are sinning against God. You are transgressing against him. To do this is actually trying to make God participate in our lives. And definitely God will never ever be part of any lie. And again, this is where the Pharisees were greatly, greatly mistaken. Now, William Barclay states, Here is a great eternal truth. Life cannot be divided into compartments, in some of which God is involved, and in others which He is not involved. There cannot be one kind of language in the church, and another kind of language in the shipyard or the factory or the office. There cannot be one kind of conduct in the church and another kind of conduct in the business world. 
The fact is that God does not need to be invited into certain developments of life and kept out of others. He is everywhere, all through life and in every activity of life. He hears not only the words which are spoken in His name, He hears all words, and there cannot be any such thing as a form of words which evades bringing God into any transaction. We will regard all promises as sacred if we remember that all promises are made in the presence of God. All promises are made in the presence of God. So again, let's remind ourselves that whatever we say, we are really accountable before the Lord. Remember what I quoted a few sermons ago when I said that every idle word will be judged by God. And that includes making false oaths or making false vows before the Lord. We will not be able to escape the all-knowing omniscience of God. We will be accountable to the Lord for everything that you and I say. Now, Jesus here was not really abolishing oath-making. He is simply discouraging the kind of vows that were deceitful, the kind of vows that we mentioned a while ago. Jesus did not want oath-taking, which were less binding, meaning you do not need to fulfill it. He did not want hypocritical oaths, which were mostly lies. Oath-taking, however, if taken seriously and sincerely, was still permitted. Paul actually still made vows. In Romans chapter 9, verse 1, he says, I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. Now, you will notice here that Paul was actually invoking uh, the two persons in the Blessed Trinity to cite his honesty, to cite his truthfulness. Notice that he says, I am, the, I am telling the truth in Christ. And then later on he says, my conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. So he was citing the fact that he was speaking the truth. And by using the name of God, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the name of the Holy Spirit, he was trying to lend credibility to what he was trying to say. And if Paul happened to be lying, he would definitely be accountable to the Lord Jesus Christ. He would be accountable to the Holy Spirit. He would be accountable to God. And that is why, again, Paul, through this, own, through this practice, is showing to us it's not wrong at all to invoke the name of God for as long as we are telling the truth. Just make sure you are telling the truth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, we find another example. He says, But I call God as witness to my soul that to spare you I did not come again to Corinth. So notice, he says, I I call God as witness to my soul. Now, this time he was using uh, the name of God the Father. He was invoking the name of God the Father. 
Once again, to cite the fact that he was telling the truth. And again, if he was lying, if he was being deceitful, he would have been accountable to the Lord. And that is why, again, it's not wrong at all to make vows and to make oaths, most especially in some very important occasions. In occasions wherein it is really very important that before God and before witnesses, we make certain promises. And we are to swear to God by no other name but God's and only on significant occasions, but only with the intention of telling the truth. And uh, two occasions that I can think of is when you are in the court of law, for example, or maybe even if you are uh, being uh, sworn into office. And just very recently, we find that uh, in the United States, after Biden and Kamala Harris were elected into office, they were made to, to put their hand on the Bible. And basically, what that is doing or what that is saying is that you are invoking the name of God. By putting your hand on the Bible, you are invoking the name of God. And therefore, whatever you have to say, as the President of the United States of America, you have to be telling the truth. And again, in the court of law, most definitely, since we are after justice, definitely we cannot be deceitful, we cannot make a lie. And that is why we have, uh, we in fact do practice swearing uh, before a Bible as well. And again, that is invoking the name of God by speaking the truth. And likewise, when we get married, don't we make those marriage vows as well? And so when we do that, when we make those vows, let us remember we're not just making promises to one another, husband and wife, or husband and wife-to-be. We're making a promise before the witnesses, and we are making a promise before God Himself. And so it's very important, again, that we speak truthfully as we make those vows. Now, the principle here is that we are not to promote lying. We are not to promote lying. And sometimes, uh, even in our own families, it so happens that uh, parents uh, often tutor their children into lying, most especially when they have debts that they need to pay. And so when the collect collector calls uh, uh, through the phone, we tell our children, tell them, I'm not here. And sometimes our children, because they're so naive, would say, my dad or my mom says that she or he is not here. And so again, the principle here is do not promote deceit. Do not promote lying. Promote only truthfulness. Now you and I know that in the scriptures, the Lord Jesus Christ calls Satan the father of lies. And we do not want to fall in line with the activities of Satan. And so again, if you are a believer in Christ, if you happen to be a Christian, if you belong to the church, 
Be sure that you are speaking the truth. Make sure that when you make vows, you will fulfill them because you are invoking the name of the Lord. Now, we are not to consider an oath less binding because every oath is made in heaven. Every oath is made in heaven. God is witness to what we say to ourselves and what we say to other people. And that is why it is binding in so far as God is concerned. Heaven is God's and is related to God and therefore in God's name also. Now here's the point. Whenever truth is profaned, God's name is profaned as well. Again, let me repeat that. When truth is profaned, God's name is profaned as well. Now let's ask ourselves the question, why do people lie? Well, one reason could be, could be we don't want to hurt feelings at the expense of truth. And so sometimes we, we feel that if we tell the truth, it might do some emotional damage on certain people. So we would rather lie and not speak the truth. Now, what the Bible simply recommends to us is that, is that we are to speak the truth in love. So it is, it is really communicating truth, but in a manner by which we are mindful of people's feelings. We are mindful of what possible damage it can do. But sometimes truth can actually be painful. But we can somehow smoothen the uh, transition, so to speak. We can smoothen our words by being very careful with the choice of words that we use. But then again, we are responsible for speaking the truth. Because if we do not speak the truth and people find out that we are lying, we lose our credibility. We will have a credibility problem. I'm sure you've heard of the story of the boy who cried wolf. And first time around, he called the villagers that there was a wolf. And so all of the villagers came out. But there was no wolf. The boy was laughing. And so for the second time around, he cried wolf once again. And the villagers came once again. But there was no wolf. Again, the boy was laughing. The third time around, there was really a wolf. But as he cried out wolf, Nobody came out. He already had a credibility problem. Nobody was willing to believe him at all. And sometimes that could be our situation. What is at stake here is our own credibility. Allow me to share a little story. There was a popular comic strip, Mama, by Mel Lazarus. And one of his strips shows... Mama entertaining her perpetual suitor, Mr. K. Frankly, he's not much of a catch, but he is persistent. As the two sit on the couch, Mr. K says, Mr. Hobbs, I am at a low ebb psychologically. My ego is flattened. Mrs. Hobbs responds in an affirming way, Mr. K, 
Let me hasten to state that you're a fine, interesting, and attractive man. Mr. K perks up at this and asks, Oh, Mr. Hobbs, is that the truth? Mrs. Hobbs says, No, there will always be plenty of time for the truth when you are emotionally stronger. Of course, that happens to be a comic strip. It's not true at all. But sometimes, this is a picture of reality. This is a picture of how we communicate to other people. Because we do not want to damage their uh, emotions. Because we don't want to hurt their feelings. We don't speak the truth. We lie instead. Another reason is that we may have selfish interests. There was an honest letter that was sent to the Internal Revenue Service. It stated, Dear Sirs, I cannot sleep. Last year when I filed my income tax return, I deliberately misrepresented my income. Now, I cannot sleep. Enclosed is a check for $150 for taxes. And if I still cannot sleep, I will send you the rest. So again, people who lie may have selfish interests. And again, there is no excuse. I mean, we cannot make the excuse that I'm really protecting myself or I am protecting my family or I am protecting my agenda. Lying is never uh, something that gets exonerated before the very presence of God, most especially when you are making an oath. Now, a third reason is that we want to justify ourselves and believe the lie itself. Sometimes we have formed the habit of lying such that we're no longer conscious that it has become a way of life for us. And sometimes what even happens is we're no longer able to distinguish between the lie and the truth. And sometimes we may be speaking a lie, but in our minds, we're now believing it because we're so used to doing it. Now, let me just share once again another story. In Boston, a, a minister, a pastor, noticed a group of boys standing around a small stray dog. And he was asking, what are you doing, boys? Telling lies, said one of the boys. The one who tells the biggest lie gets the dog. And the minister of God, the pastor, was, was scandalized. And he said, why? When I was your age, I never lied. So the boys looked at each other and their faces became rather sad. And they said, well, I suppose the pastor wins the dog. <laughs> Because obviously, the pastor did not speak the truth when he said, when I was your age, I never lied. We all do lie. And therefore, again, we just have to be very careful. Now, in verse 37, Jesus advocates the plain truth. That's all that he wants to say here. In verse 37, he says, But let your statement... Be yes, yes, 
or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. So Jesus commends simple truthfulness in word, in thought, as well as in deed. That's what he's saying here. Why don't you just say the truth? Why do you have to use an oath simply to protect yourself? Why do you have to use an oath to, to lend credibility to yourself and then later on deceive other people trying to protect your own agenda? Jesus was saying you don't need to make an oath. Just, just speak the truth. Our statements must be dependable. We need to mean what we say and say what we mean. And again, this is something that is very, very important, most especially for us believers in Christ, because we claim to speak the truth, the truth that sets people free. And therefore, it is incumbent on our part to be representatives, to be ambassadors of truth. And again, uh, if you and I happen to have lied, then let's confess our sins. And as the Bible says, go and sin no more. I'd like to share to you a wonderful quotation from Blaise Pascal. And he says, we arrive at the truth not by reason alone, but also by the heart. Again, let me just repeat that. We arrive at the truth not by reason alone, but also by the heart. That is why, and let me just point this very important fact. If you want to arrive at the truth, if you want honesty and truthfulness, most especially in our society, in our lives, in our community, there has to be a change of the heart. Blaise Pascal was spot on when he said that we arrive at the truth not by reason alone, but also by the heart. And that is why if there's going to be a change of the heart, the gospel needs to be preached. And that is why let, let me just again belabor my point when it comes to the gospel. I know that in our country, there is a network of fabrication. There is corruption. There is bribery. There is continual lying. And again, as I mentioned to you right at the very beginning, we use euphemisms. So how do we change our society? How do we change our nation? And we often think that it's simply by electing new officials. But you know, we've gone over this again and again. We've always elected officials. And many of the promises that they have made, they have not kept. And so what do we do? In the forthcoming elections, we again elect other officials. And that is why the cycle of corruption, the cycle of lying continues on. Because honesty and truthfulness is something that should emanate from the heart. And only the gospel of Jesus Christ can change the human heart. 
Only when people come to Christ and say, Lord, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death, it is only when we acknowledge our sinfulness, it is only when we acknowledge that Christ is the only answer, it is only when we acknowledge that only the Spirit of God can indwell, empower, and change us, that we will definitely begin to live a life of truthfulness and honesty. And that is why salvation is very much connected to truthfulness and honesty. And salvation, of course, is the message of the gospel. And the message of the gospel is you need to repent. You need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Make Him Lord and Savior of your life. Let the Holy Spirit indwell you. And as the Spirit of God indwells you, let Him transform you. For as the Bible says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. The new has come. When the Spirit of God comes upon you and you speak lies, you will be convicted in your heart. You will be convicted in your conscience. And eventually, you will find yourself confessing and asking for forgiveness and later on speaking the truth. Why? Because that is the effect of the gospel. That is the effect of salvation. It changes our lives, it changes our hearts. And that is why, for me, is there hope for our country? Yes, there is hope. But we need to preach the gospel to our people. We, we need to be de determined to participate in the work of God. Hope is only found in the gospel. Do you know that Hitler based his whole policy on lying and said that it was the way to succeed in the world? This is what he said. If you want your nation to be great, you lie about it. And the more you lie, the more likely you are to succeed. History has proven that Hitler was wrong. And he paid dearly, he paid a stiff price for all the lying that he did. There is hope for our country. Do you know that during the pre-Hispanic times, before we were colonized by the Spaniards, we were in fact honest people. There were Chinese traders who would come to our shores and they would leave behind their goods. And the next time they would come, the following year when they would come, the Filipinos would bring um, uh, goods which were bartered uh, value for value. And that spoke greatly of the honesty of the Filipino. The payment matched the consignment that were made by these Chinese traders. Yes, during pre-Hispanic times, we were honest people. And we need to recover that. And the only way to recover that is through the gospel. And Christian, let me remind you, you are to be an ambassador of truth. 
So I pray that our study today has been truly meaningful and that we would be applying all these truths in our lives. So let's come before the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and bless you. Thank you for this time that you have opened our eyes once again to the Scriptures. And we pray that we will not simply nod our heads, say our amens, and say our hallelujahs. Lord, may we be obedient and apply whatever Jesus has taught us. And he has taught us to be truthful and honest. So Lord, let that be the kind of life we will have. We give you glory, praises, and thanks. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen. So brethren, uh, God bless you. My team, my wife Marie and AJ would like to say hi and goodbye.